One of the hottest and most promising projects in the staking arena right now is Eigenlayer. I'm personally super excited about Eigenlayer because of the severe impact it will have on the Ethereum network and wider ecosystem at large. This is why I'm very glad to have with me today Sriram Kanan, the founder of Eigenlayer. Sriram is assistant professor at the University of Washington, Seattle, where he runs the Information Theory Lab, focusing on information theory and its application in communication networks, machine learning, and blockchain systems, conducting blockchain research since 2017. In 2021, he founded Eigenlayer. In this episode, we will explain what Eigenlayer is and does, how stakers and validators will be able to earn higher staking rewards from their ETH through Eigenlayer, and how it will make Ethereum more secure, boost innovation, and help grow the ecosystem. Welcome, Sriram. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Marian. It's a pleasure to have this chance to speak on the staking reward. Thank you. So please explain to our audience what Eigenlayer is. We just assume that they are familiar with Ethereum in general, but not specifically with Eigenlayer. Absolutely. Eigenlayer is a mechanism to broaden the set of services that Ethereum stakers can provide. Right now, Ethereum stakers can put their stake into the Ethereum protocol and then guarantee that they are producing blocks, valid blocks, according to the Ethereum protocol. When they opt into Eigenlayer, they can opt into any set of new services. Imagine new chains, new data storage protocols, data availability, oracles, bridges, any of these new validation primitives that other people write, they can opt into them without having to put up new stake basically reusing the same same staking for these additional services. And why would they do it? They would do it because there is additional fees to be earned from validating all these additional services. And what is the risk that they're taking? There is a slashing risk that they, you know, when you opt into these new services, there is a chance that you could get slashed. And you would get slashed in in a well-written protocol only if you behave in a provably malicious manner. So that's the risk that they're taking that, you know, they're behaving correctly. And if they know they're behaving correctly and the protocol doesn't behave erratically, then essentially the only risk that they're taking or the only cost that they're incurring is the operational expenditure of running new additional hardware or, you know, expanding existing storage network, other resources for these additional purposes. So the risk reward calculation is I'm getting some additional fees as a staker, taking some additional risk. I'm also taking up some operational costs. Depending on how these work to work out, you may choose to opt in to new service. Hmm. And you call it the Ethereum Restaking Collective, adding restaking as a new, you could say, primitive in the Ethereum stack. So basically, Eigenlayer lets you use the security of Ethereum to do other things that it wasn't intended to, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And our kind of driving mission is to maximize the surface of permissionless innovation. One thing we in this space have come to love is the ability of anybody to, for example, come and deploy a smart contract and absorb the trust from Ethereum without themselves having to trust it. And, but that dynamic does not hold true if you want to create a new chain, a new oracle, a new bridge, a new service that requires distributed validation services, which are not offered by the Ethereum native protocol. And Eigenlayer is an expansion of the scope of permissionless innovation of the Ethereum ecosystem. And as far as the staker side is concerned, it is opening up the staking to become much more like a free market where anybody can opt into any subset of services rather than making staking fully homogeneous, which is how it has been till today. 
Yeah. On the Eigenlayer website, there is one of your tasks you gave in front of A16Z, and it is a deep dive on Eigenlayer and especially the economics behind it. Because the idea now for the for the listener or watcher sounds super simple. Yeah, just use the security of Ethereum for anything else and have the free market sort out how much people are willing to pay for this additional security. But there are so many additional effects coming from that. And this is what I like to, would like to go into more depth together with you. So the, the, the basic idea is that normally people, when they, or developers, when they build dApps, they would need to bootstrap the security of their applications or let it be another blockchain every time they create something new, which makes the whole thing very expensive because you have to pay for the whole security infrastructure. And you can save all of this through Eigenlay. And this will unlock massive innovation because now developers can focus really on developing their applications instead of bootstrapping security. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is, in fact, if you just dial back to why Ethereum was created, it was actually exactly solve the same problem, which is that pre-Ethereum, every new application needs to have its own chain. And Ethereum created this common Ethereum virtual machine said that anybody can build anything on top of it. But it is still limited to what you can write on the Ethereum virtual machine. And more importantly, it is limited to the particular consensus and coordination protocol built into the Ethereum stack. And, but there are many, many ways to arrive at consensus. There are many ways to use a distributed system to arrive at the properties that you actually want for your particular application. So one way of thinking about Eigenlayer, even if all stakers like restake, essentially you can think of it as like making the Ethereum ecosystem much more programmable. You can program not at the level of the EVM, but at the level of, I can kind of like write what each staking node should be doing, how data should be dispersed among them, how they should agree on something, how they should check price fees, what is the incentives for each of these things. So you can kind of design a host of protocols on top of the common staking. Hmm. And so I personally, when I looked at it, I saw four big external effects, which will, which will influence the whole Ethereum staking ecosystem at large. And that's the first one is that all assets that were, let's now assume the, the, the big, in the big use case, all the assets that were previously, you could say dispersed over many different blockchains all flow back to the, to the Ethereum base layer with the adoption of, of Eigenlayer. So the whole economic security underlying Ethereum will be much larger than with the current dispersed version or this dispersed mode of, of security that we have. That is definitely some, an, an interesting effect. Definitely true to some extent for, you know, the Ethereum stakers now opt in to provide several of the services inside the Ethereum ecosystem. And that is, I think, a much more incentive compatible system because you know, the same group of stakers are providing safety to bridges, to data availability and all of these different systems. And the, the reason this is better is because when an application depends on multiple of these modules for its own safety, it's actually as safe as the worst of these modules. And by making all of them kind of homogeneous trust, you actually, you know, that is actually the better outcome. So, yes, so that is definitely the outcome we are hoping for is that a lot more of the security congregates back to ETH, but ETH itself supports way more innovation than what like the set of protocols have been able to do on top of, you know, the Ethereum ecosystem today. And another 
effect that I identified is that when there is more rewards or two effects, there is more, there are more fees for validators and stakers to be made, pushing the, pushing the staking rewards up. But at the same time, as all the assets get pooled, you could imagine that, um, professionalization of the validators kicks in and then in the end, validation service overall should become cheaper for the whole network. And this again is like, I'm thinking of, of staking as the, as the infrastructure cost for a blockchain. So when these base costs are reduced, it is able to sustain many more applications that previously weren't economically not feasible because they could not provide the revenue that was needed to pay for this expensive type of security. Absolutely. There is an amortization of the cost of security. So if you say staking is the cost of security, if we need this much pool of security, we need to pay that much fee. But because it's shared security, this pool can now sustain, to sustain this amount of, you know, let's say 30 billion worth of like staking, I need this total amount of yield that needs to come to the study layer of taking from the sum of all the protocols rather than any one protocol individually. So together, we are all stronger. So that's the kind of like mental model that we like to think of is because the same reason why city states are not common and nation states are common is that when you aggregate the tax from a larger region, you're able to give much better security. It was the same reason why there is like multinational like restructures like the NATO, which aggregate security across many, many different countries. And this is a very similar analogy. That's what I think for. And you also differentiated between the operational costs versus cost of capital. And I think this was a, a, a mind opener for me. And I think the audience will find it very valuable as well. Could you elaborate on that again? Yeah. When somebody thinks about like, hey, I want to run a staking for my service. Normally we think about the operational cost. How many nodes do I run and how much cost is it? But really because proof of stake relies on economic security, you know, there is a capital cost, which is, hey, I have to lock up like, you know, let's say I'm running an Oracle and I say I need near Ethereum security. So maybe I need 10 billion or 20 billion worth of staking it's on my Oracle network. Now, what this means is if I need 20 billion staked on my Oracle network, I need to make sure that the fees that I'm paying, either now or eventually, initially it may be a speculative equilibrium, but eventually you have to satisfy the amount of staking with the fees that is being paid. And the fees that is being paid needs to be greater than like a 5% annual return or something like that, right? Like a 20 billion staking at 5% annual return, we're talking about 1 billion in fees needs to be extracted by the Oracle in order to pro provide Ethereum or security. And I think this is really, you know, very difficult. But the operational cost is not that high. Operational cost is for an Oracle, let's say you're just downloading and downloading a price feed. Even if you ever do it on 10,000 nodes, it's really, really cheap. I like to take the extreme example here, something like Solana, which we all think of as, you know, a heavy validation service. But even that is like annual cost of validating one, you know, running one Solana node is maybe $10,000. This is just very rough ballpark. If it's $10,000 and they run like 1,000 distinct nodes, we're talking about $10 million is the annual cost of running the Solana network, is the operational cost. But if you need 10 billion staked in the Solana network at a 5% to 10% APR, we're talking about half a billion to 1 billion is the capital cost, the cost of satisfying the 
rate, the yields to the capital. And this is the dominant part of all staking today. And by having a common pool of stake, this capital can be used across many, many different operations. That's like cutting the per service capital. So that's that's our main idea. And I, it, it's also not only a new idea, it is an existing idea. It, it's also an observation about why Ethereum or general smart contract protocols have succeeded is they aggregate security into a common layer across all the dApps. Now, Eigenlayer is just broadening the programming model from dApps have to write an EVM and be coordinated via the default consensus protocol to dApps can, you know, distributed applications can be written in much richer distributed systems. So that's the broadening that Eigenlayer tries to do. And what I found it's interesting about this, when protocol would pitch that, hey, we are 5% more efficient than a competitor X or Y, it doesn't even matter. Your operational efficiency does not matter as long as you are capped by your cost of capital to secure the network. And this was the mind bender for me. Well, thank you for saying that. It's actually why we... We ended up like getting into Eigenlayer is actually as academics, this is the kind of thing you think a lot about is how to cut operational costs, how to make systems more operationally efficient. You know, I, as we tried to do it, I'm like, hey, I'm 10x more efficient. Let's say I, I have a new availability protocol and I'm 10x more efficient. Why is nobody like interested in this? And then I think about it and like, I couldn't figure out for a long time <laughs> until actually I saw, oh, it's all just capital costs. And how am I going to accumulate so much capital? And in some sense, the way like protocols accumulate capital is like, this is really what I saw in the ecosystem is you have to kind of create a buzz and a hype around some new mm. protocol and then go and convince the VCs that this is going to be a billion dollar protocol. And then the VCs say, hey, I'm giving you 200 million, give me 20%, right? And then you give them the 200 million and then yeah, they get 20% of the protocol but, or whatever, 10% of the protocol. And then basically what that does is now that sets a value for your network and that's how you get security. And this is not a thing most people, this is not a game most people can play. It, it should be much more democratic for somebody to come and access the pool of taking capital that is already available in the Ethereum ecosystem. This should be democratized to, for many, many people to use. So, you know, we started from like actually exactly the viewpoint that you said, which is that, hey, let's just try to cut operational costs. Is it 10x? Is it 10% something? Let's just be better than anything out there. And then realize that that's not the bottleneck today. So we ended up having to go one layer down the stack and solve the capital cost problem. Now, hopefully enabling many, many people who are thinking about operational cost. Because once you solve the capital cost problem, now you actually protocols compete on operational cost. So if there's one protocol which is 5% more efficient, it will offer 5% better fees, which means it will attract pretty much all the volume because they are a comparable security. So this is what we, when we keep saying we want to enable more open innovation, this is exactly what we mean. Protocols have to compete with each other on being the most efficient. Otherwise, they will be not. Hmm. And now, to me, it sounds like the perfect storm for the Ethereum ecosystem. Have you already mapped out all the second and third order effects of, of this, uh, what it will have when Eigenlayer deploys and gets mass adoption? That would be too arrogant of me to say that we've mapped out all the second and third order effects. We have some understanding and we've thought about it as much as we can. And But the nature of this thing is that 
kind of like when MEV was started and, you know, one could not imagine that in four years, you know, from like the paper which explained what MEV is to today, this is going to be the rat landscape, right? So I, I wouldn't claim to know that much about how it would look in the restaking landscape will look like in five years. But we have a vision for what would be a great future. A great future is when there is shared security available for many, many services. A future where like, you know, there is, we turbocharge the core value proposition of blockchains, which is permissionless innovation, while undoing it, while making sure that there are no second or third order security problems, which we do not foresee. So we try to put some thought into it. Mm. But the nature of this beast is that it is it is not fully predictable. So I I would definitely concede that. So in the middle layer, there could be introduced additional risks. So to say you have pooled security on the base layer, Ethereum, but the middle layer, eigenlayer and other middle layer, they could introduce vulnerabilities that would undercut the good base security. That's right. The Ethereum has the dominant in the slashing hierarchy. So the first slashing, so, you know, if Ethereum wants to slash, there's nothing I can, I can do about it. So that is true. But there is a problem, which is that suppose people opt into new services and these services have like, you know, major programming errors and so on. And if they are major programming errors, then they, it is possible that they can lose their stake. Right, even if they behave honestly. One of the nice things I want to also point out before I point out potential risk, why, you know, the leveraging in eigenlayer is very different from, you know, when people think about leveraging, you know, it triggers all kinds of alarm bells, like, oh, you know, you take a 10x leverage market, moves by 10%, you lose all your money. That's the normal kind of leverage. But when you're doing validation, I think we're in staking rewards, you know, people here understand staking quite a bit. Validation risk is a very different it is based on a certain information asymmetry, which is that if I know I'm honest and I trust a protocol, I'm never going to be flashed. It is in my control to behave in a way I will never be flashed. This is a very different profile than, you know, putting my money into a DeFi protocol where, you know, if the price moves 3%, then I can lose all my money because whether the price moves 3% is not a variable in my control. And this is really the important difference between like, you know, leveraging in DeFi and like, you know, what, what we're doing here, which is shared security is probably the best way to describe it. But the, the, the risk, actual risk is that the protocol slashes you, even if you're behaving in a compliant manner. And that is the risk that we concern ourselves mostly with, which is you behave correctly, but the protocol still slashes you. This could be because of smart contract programming errors. It could be because the person who wrote the service is put up a trap for everybody to retake and then want to flash everybody. And the way we think about protecting, mitigating these risks is by having some kind of human subjective element which has to approve the slashing. We cannot add on new slashing. So you're not trusting the humans to be correct in, you know, they cannot trigger new slashing, but they cannot, they can veto existing slashing that is triggered objectively by a smart contract. So we're bringing like two legs, like one is coming from the smart contracts, another is coming from some human subjectivity. We can kind of minimize these risks before protocols become stable enough and trusted enough that they can go on a layer which doesn't have any human veto. So this is exactly like the training wheels that layer two protocols and other systems have to go through 
on day one, you know, you, you're not sure you can trust the code. There is governance back, backstop, and then eventually you become completely free and open. And you call it leveraged because um, you rehypothecate the capital instead of using it only for Ethereum security, you add additional risk. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think, you know, leverage and rehypothecate all of these as we, un, you know, we understood are like weak analogies. They're not strong analogies because of the differences I just laid out. Where normally when you rehypothecate, you're fundamentally taking new prices. In Eigenlayer, is designed to be just validation. In Eigenlayer, you can opt into many, many validation tasks, but not for things that are just moving prices up and down so that, you know, that's not the set of use cases I can there is targeting. It's trying to reuse the existing state for other validation. So that, that's our mean. The whole blockchain space or blockchain in itself, they are very driven by network effects. And the way I understand it is that with Eigenlayer, you actually solve one or two or even three problems of the Ethereum network, which direct is a direct attack, you could say, on other layer ones that are competing with Ethereum and they do not enjoy the first mover advantage that Ethereum had. Would you subscribe to this understanding? Not really. Okay. I think it is. So if such a framework were available, so if you just look at the evolution of the blockchain ecosystem, you would see basically that any kind of Ethereum block space was saturated. All dApps were kind of being, or the major dApps were mainly being built on Ethereum. And then at one point we said, oh man, like crypto TDs, whatever, like block space can get saturated on Ethereum. Let's try to get, kind of build more block space. And then, you know, you had these other, okay, somebody said, oh, if you do this new consensus protocol, maybe you can improve the block space and so on, right? Like, I think... At that point, there was no mechanism for them to take that consensus protocol and run it on top of this security network. This was not an option. So if you had a new like Tendermint or Avalanche or like whatever other consensus protocol that you may come up with, Algorithm, you know, any of these things, you cannot just run it on Ethereum. This was not a possibility. I like to think that if something like Eigenlayer were around it, that there are many of these new innovations, in fact, way more of these innovations would have been built on top of the Ethereum staking, and they may have grown to even bigger protocols because, you know, you are leveraging common security. And because you're leveraging common security, you're competing on technology, right? Like fundamentally what happened was, you know, many of these layer ones were competing on technology plus the ability to create and bootstrap new network effects. And instead, you would compete purely on technology. And at least the security available is common for all these different services. And you still have network effects based on which applications use your programming environment, which applications prefer your distributed system and consensus protocol. So I like to think that there would have been actually way more layer one type thing because of Eigenlayer, because it enables anybody to come and spin off something like that. So in fact, we, like I said, you know, we had ideas like how to do better consensus and so on, and we had nowhere to go and we didn't want to do the same thing that we thought was going on, that people who just knew distributed systems are trying to create communities. And this is just two different things. It's not the same same set of people who are qualified to do. Okay, let's discuss your roadmap. When will Eigenlayer go live? And what are the main steps that you have in mind? Yes, 
right now we are on a private testnet where we have both eigenlayer and on top of eigenlayer we've also built a data availability protocol this is called eigen da which is the protocol for rollups to publish data to ethereum both of these systems are built at least the first pre-alpha version let they built and is running on our testnets internal testnets which some of the roll-up partners, for example, are testing our integrations with. We want to do a public testnet, you know, sometime Q2 and a mainnet, sometime Q3. And so that's the two main steps coming up. So what we are starting to do ourselves is to broaden the community engagement. We are starting with putting up the white paper. We are creating a research forum where we can discuss some of the second and third order effects we discussed here. And we want as many people as possible to participate in this um, in this system. We called it the Ethereum Retaking Collective for exactly that reason that the collective intelligence transcends any individual intelligence. And really that is why we are very, very bullish on open innovation. The idea that any one person or team knows the best is not, I think, how these systems work. You know, we have to all pool our ideas and, and, you know, and improve each other to actually get good. So we are broadening our engagement to the community. We are opening up a discourse, which is more research oriented, trying to understand what the, you know, effects of something like that. And we will have a public death net where people can come and play and then there'll be a public mainnet. And, you know, in, since Eigenlayer is a complicated platform with multiple there's takers, there is node operators who could be more professionalized. Takers could themselves be node operators, but they could also delegate to professional node operators. There are services like middlewares that can be built. So there are multiple sites. We'll have a phased launch where we will bring on one side takers, operators, builders. So that's that's the evolution that we see for, you know, the launch. Okay, and... um maybe a question on what are your bottlenecks currently that you are facing? Yeah, always, you know, somebody said, you know, talent is always the most valuable asset class or the more bottleneck. And, you know, people who are very excited up and about this unmotivated to pursue the vision of permissionless innovation and have understanding of these complex distributed systems is, is one place we are bottlenecked by engineering. So um, other than that, I think we've been very lucky to have the support of the broader Ethereum community and we, we want to engage much more closely. We are also limited in the ecosystem outreach bandwidth. So we are trying to grow our team as fast as possible to accommodate both the engineering as well as the ecosystem outreach in the near future. So if any of you listening are interested in either of these, please reach out to the my handle or at Twitter or at Eigenlayer. Yeah, this already brings us to the close. You already mentioned your, the, the handles where people can follow you and Eigenlayer. And to keep best up to date, which which are the addresses that people should subscribe to, so to say? I, I think at, at Eigenlayer is the best handle for now. So please subscribe to that. And we will be posting information about many of these other things, like the discourse, like the, you know, where we are releasing more information. All of that will be posted on the Eigenlayer handle. That is an unofficial Telegram group, which is well moderated. So if that's not run by us, it's run by the community. So. Perfect. Thank you, Sriram, for being so generous with your time. 
We have been speaking with Sriram Kanan, the founder of Eigenlayer Protocol. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe to our YouTube channel for more episodes for the, from the forefront of staking. Follow me on Twitter at Marian underscore Walter underscore and our team at Staking Rewards. You've been listening to the Staking Rewards podcast for Sriram and the audience. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much, Marian. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you.